Pepper and Dylan Show podcasts are brought to you by Boston Pizza, offering free delivery through bostonpizza.com, MyBP's app, and phone in orders. They're also doing 15% off takeout and curbside pickup orders. So, why aren't you eating a pierogi pizza right now, huh? Yeah. The Pepper and Dylan Show. Kiss 91.7. This is all right. Pepper and Dylan, yeah, you hear them on the radio. They've been together since about 14 years ago. You must be here because you got nowhere else to go. No. Thanks for tuning in to the After Show Show. Welcome to the After Show Show. Today is May 27th, my brother's 40th birthday. Happy birthday, Garrett. A happy 40th, yeah. Yeah, that's a it's a big day here. So three minutes or so, if Dave Sanderson is prompt. Oh, he will be three minutes. Oh, you don't think he'll be late at all? When you when you almost lose your life, every second counts. That's the way I'm looking at it. You know, that's interesting. Like, I don't even know where I want. You can take the lead because this is your brass ring. Like, you've wanted to do this, talk about this specific news incident uh, for a long, long time. So, um, this is, just to to recap, this is the story of Sully, the famous uh, flight that, uh, I I keep saying a crash, but it's not. It's it's an emergency landing. And I think, like, and I don't know how much real is because I watched the movie over the way, but in the movie, he kept on making sure this was not a crash. Right. This was a planned emergency landing. This is a plan. This is I'm Tom Hanks. Clint Eastwood directed. Yeah. Tom Hanks is Sully. And now we're talking to one of the real life passengers on that plane. That is, I mean, it's, what was it? It was the most um, successful, geez, what did I hear? Uh, plane, emergency plane landing or the most, I don't know, difficult emergency plane landing. Of well, the, yeah, the, no plane has ever had an emergency landing with two engines that are blown out in the history of aviation. Like it's, it's a significant experience that this guest, Dave, will, ha- will have gone through. But mm. uh, everything that he's gone through leading up to that moment and after that moment. And yeah, I don't, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. I don't either, but I'm super excited just to hear from somebody that was on that plane, just to be put in that position because I mean, it's so relatable to anyone that's ever uh, flown, right? Because you hear like one noise on a flight, like one crick that doesn't sound right. You're like, what the heck is that? Oh, here we go. North Carolina, line one. Hey. Oh, is it line one? Is he here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. dokie. So welcome to the program, Dave Sanderson. Good morning, Dave. Dylan, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. You, uh, we're, we're already recording. We just, we, I said you were going to be exactly on time because yeah. every second of your life becomes precious when you go That's through right. what you every go through. Every moment matters. You got it, man. Okay. So this is Dave wow. Sanderson, U.S. Airways Flight 1549. And this is the plane after takeoff of New York City's LaGuardia Airport, January 15, 2009. They struck a flock of Canada geese. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Lost both engines, uh, started to power down, and was forced to make an emergency landing in the Hudson River. Now, we, we've, we know the story. We've, we've seen the movie. But what we don't know is what it was like to be a passenger and, and, and hearing brace for impact. Is it true? Did you actually hear brace for impact? That's the only thing that you heard over the loudspeaker? The only thing that we heard was, this is your captain, brace for impact. That is correct. Uh, this is your captain, brace for impact. Oh okay. God. You've told this story, I'm sure, since 2009, or 2009, right? Yeah, 2009, mm-hmm. 11 years. Correct. You've told this story, I'm, I'm sure, thousands and thousands of times. So you'll, you'll, you'll have this down to a science. But uh, start by, it, what time of day was it? It was mid-morning? Nope, it was mid-afternoon. mid-afternoon. Um, okay. I, I, I gave up my first class seat at 5 o'clock to get on the earlier flight to get home. So the flight was technically supposed to take off, I think, at 2, I think it was like 2.40, but it was delayed because of weather in New York. It was, you know, it was 11 degrees Fahrenheit that day and snowed. 
so it was uh, the planes are backed up, but that's not nothing unusual for New York, uh, right? Uh, yep, yep. It is what it is. Um, and you're from North Carolina, so that you were flying home, is that right? After end of a bu- three day business trip, that's correct. Okay. Heading back home, trying to get home to uh, be with my family. Okay. So this was the flight you were scheduled on? No. Oh my it was goodness. Not. So how no, he went on an earlier flight. You made the choice to go like, you know what, I want to get home quicker, and this is what ended up happening? This is correct. That's okay. exactly what happened. Okay. Goodness. So you always talk about, you always look at that day. Uh, did anything seem out of the ordinary? Were there, when you look back now, you think, oh, man, I should have. this should have been a sign. This should have been an indicator to me that something wasn't right or totally normal day. I didn't see anything. Nothing Nothing extraordinary, right? It was, you know, it was, we got up early because we were working in a distribution center, and that one opened up at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. So that's why we got in there about 5 a.m., and that's how we got done early. So, no, it was... It was a normal business day, except for having to start the day at uh, 5 a.m. But other than that, um, normal day in New York, you know, a lot of, lot of travel and uh, just glad to have the, have the opportunity to go home. Well, if nothing else, a lucky day because you're done early. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. We get yeah. to go home early. This is amazing. That's right. Right. Um, and do you travel a lot for work? I did. And okay. still, well, not lately. Okay. No, not lately. <laughs> yeah, all but, right. Uh, normally I do, yes. Okay, okay. So you're no stranger to air travel. You're no stranger no. to a few bumps, a bit of turbulence here and there. None of that jars you or no. shakes you or scares you as a rule? No, no. That, you know, you fly 100 times a year, you're going to come into something, right? Right, so, okay. Yeah, no big deal about the bumps. Okay. So you're, you're sitting, you get on like you normally would. Any passengers at this time acting weird or erratic or everything just seemed normal? Well... I put my head down and uh, started reading a magazine. I didn't pay attention to anybody else. I was like, let's get out of here, uh, and uh, I'm focused on my own business. So, no, nothing nothing out of the ordinary on the plane. The flight attendants did a, their, their job, did a fantastic job, and Canley, I didn't listen to them either because I thought that I knew everything. Right. And uh, now, that, now that I understand, uh, I don't know everything. Yeah, these are good questions yeah, to follow absolutely. up with. But, so uh, you're in the plane. You're, in, you're, you're just sitting there. You're reading your magazine. It takes off, and, and as I've read, 90 seconds, within 90 seconds, there was a problem. Like, when did you know something was a problem? Well, it was approximately 70 seconds, and then I heard an explosion. Oof. And that's when I knew something had happened, but, uh, you know, I, like I mentioned, I fly so often, a plane lost an engine. And, you know, Canley, I know that it, most planes, and not all planes fly commercially, have multiple engines. So, all right, we lost an engine, you know. And I looked out the window, and I saw fire coming out from underneath the left wing. So, okay, we lost the left engine. And he started circling. I'm like, okay, we're going back to the airport. Until uh, it got really quiet, because I tell people, I think one of the things that saved, with a saving grace for that day is, you know, no one knew at that moment that happened on the left side where I was also happened on the right side at the exact same second. Right. And I truly believe if you would have, we would have heard bang, bang, instead of bang, people would have thought, uh, maybe a different story, maybe a terrorist attack or something else. Right. Uh, but no, we heard one banker. I believe that every and people I talked to thought the same thing. I uh, already happened on the other side, and you know, we're going back to the airport. Well, it, it sounds pretty cool and collected. Like, have you been on planes before where the engines have have gone out? I've had one in Charleston, South Carolina. We were on descent, uh, final descent, and our engine went out. So, yeah, I've heard that, but I never, I never saw a fire. To be very candid, I never saw a fire. Oh I heard. Oof boom before and because we were on final descent and I thought it was just you know the uh, the wheels coming down but he actually lost lost the engine on the descent so so what seat are you in You're, you must be towards the front of the plane looking so you you can see the uh, the wing and you can see the engine no problem from where you're at a 15a I was four rows behind the left wing okay so I was approximately about 
probably a little bit over halfway back. Okay, so you hear this bang, and then all of a sudden, it, 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 no panic on the plane, like you say, because you, you hear one solid bang. But are people then talking to each other, like, what the, what the heck's that? What, what just happened? Yeah, I think some people probably were. I wasn't. I just looked out the window, and I, I didn't hear anybody really talking because I was like, okay, out the window, and I'm sure some people were. But it was, like I tell people, it, was, it came out, if you saw the movie, it was accurate. It was so quiet on the plane, you could hear a pin drop. Gee. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this happens. You see, like you're so calm for fire. Like I see fire in the sky. I'm losing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't. I, you know, I thought. You know, see, I've heard it before, so I've never seen it, but I've heard it before. Okay. So. Right. right. So uh, after the bang, what happens next, and how long does it take? So you know, after the bang, I felt banking, and you know, okay, I thought we were banking back towards the airport. Um. But I don't know if anybody who's listening has ever flown out of LaGuardia. I've done it a lot. Basically, the, the pattern is you come out over the bay, out and towards the ocean, and then you head north, and then you start making your turns, right, to uh, where you're going to go. Well, he, he ba- started banking a different way, and all of a sudden I looked up, and I looked out the window, and I saw the skyline of Manhattan really up close. I'm like, whoa, never seen this one before. Right. You know? And then all of a sudden you get close to this thing called now, I know it's the George Washington Bridge. like, wow. Never seen a bridge up that close before. Oh. Like, uh, okay, that's the moment that starts things start resonating. Like, okay, something's not right. Something's not right. So you're you're super close to all these things. The plane is obviously at a low point. No one's come on a loudspeaker to let you know. Like, hey, uh, we're in we're in more. Like, so you you're you have zero idea what's going on. Not until he said those famous words. This is your captain. Brace for impact. And he was doing that as we were approaching the bridge. Because, uh, you know, part of, part, of, part of the things that really don't get talked about a lot is uh, that plane cleared the bridge by roughly 400 feet. The bridge is about 600 feet up. He cleared it by 400 feet. So he was approximately 1,000 feet and descending over the bridge. So oh my as he was crossing over the bridge, and I looked out the window, you, you could actually see people's faces looking up from the bridge like, oh. like whoa, you're looking down, like, whoa, we're pretty close. So at this point in, in your head, do you think, like, I'm going to die? Not yet. Not okay. yet. Uh, not till, uh he said those words. And, like, um, now I looked out again. It's like, whoa, we're going down pretty fast. And that's the moment uh, I start realizing that uh, things may not turn out very well today. And what's that feeling, like, in your stomach, in your head? Like, immediately just that, like, roller coaster feeling? Or, what? like, what is that, what is that like? Well, well, for me, I uh, what what happened to me is uh, as soon as I heard that and start thinking, that, I was like, I better get my stuff together. That's when I start praying. I um, I start start praying to my uh, my my Lord and Savior to make sure that I had nothing between He and I at that point. I want to clear sailing good move. in case something right. did happen. Right? Yeah. I didn't. I want nothing in between us. And then uh, it was approximately sixty to seventy seconds after we crossed over the bridge is when he crashed into the river. So that last moment, I. I, I saw the movie of my life pass before my eyes. That's other people were texting. Their, I heard you know, people texting. Some people were calling people and telling, giving them their last, uh, oh last sort of wishes. But I was like, just praying and saying, you know, you know, I saw the movie of my life and I saw things with clarity about what my life was really about. What, what do you mean by that? Like it, 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 it slowed down time and you were that, able. To- that last fifty seconds, uh, you know, it felt like an hour. 
because you wow. you're seeing things in slow motion, like when you're playing little league baseball and you're going to high school and playing football and your first date and your kid. I mean, you saw the big moments of your life and you saw your your family up. Who my mom and dad, you know, my dad was alive. My mom had passed away, so I I was seeing things like that. I'm like, whoa. I saw the big highlights of my life and saw what my life was made up of. And uh, I, I actually talked to another person who survived an earth, the earthquake in Haiti, and she had a very similar situation when she was buried for like five hours in, in, in the earthquake. And she thought she was going to die. And she said she saw things that she hadn't seen in years likewise. So it was a very, very different feeling. So you were making peace with that this was going to be the end. You were, this is it. Yeah, you were pretty much. You're, you know, you, you, and one thing you realize, guys, is you have no control. Right. Yeah, the only so thing you helpless. control is your mind. That's yeah. it. Right. Everything else is totally out of your control. So you learn. It's a great lesson in life. As you learn, sometimes you just got to give it up and control your mind, and hopefully things will work out. But if you can control your mind, at least it gives you a shot. I just actually wrote a blog about that last week. About you know, when you have a chance, you got to still look forward. You can't until you have no chance. Look forward. Well, let's bounce around a little bit. So my first question is, while you're witnessing all of these other people phoning and texting their loved ones, and you're not phoning or texting your loved ones, did you get a little heat for that later, that maybe you should have given them a call? And <laughs> No, not really, because my BlackBerry, I had a BlackBerry then, was in my briefcase. I uh, I actually paid attention to rules. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, now looking back, I wish I had had it on my body, right? But right. Uh, no, I... No, I my wife wouldn't have been home anyway, uh, so I, she was actually taking our son to basketball practice uh, while all this fun was going on for me. So, were, are you a man of great faith before this, or after this, or generally? Great, great question. I, and I actually did a, my first magazine article was about that, yeah. um, and that was a, that was the question of the article. And my answer is, um, I always have if I had faith and believe in a greater being, but. This is a strong reference for faith for me now. So when things start going a little sideways like we're all doing right now in this pandemic, uh, I have a reference for faith that, um, you know, this, this too will pass. Yeah. Have faith, this too will pass. Okay. So the plane is, is headed into the water, and before it hits, that feel is it like, uh, unlike anything else, like the actual physical feeling of the plane? Like, were you, were you coming in at a, at a rate that you're like, holy crap, this is... This is ridiculous. This is well, well. As he crossed over the bridge, you know, he had to lift the plane. The crew did a fabulous job, and I'll be forever grateful, right? But he had to lift the plane up, so that that costs speed. And to keep the plane in the air, I've learned you have to maintain a speed of 100 to 120 miles an hour minimum. Okay. And so as he put up the nose back down, as we were heading straight to the river, he was trying to gain speed. But uh, you're going fast, but you're going nose straight into the river. So there it is, the brace for impact. You're ready. Your brace. You're, what do you? I don't. I honestly don't even know what brace for impact means. Like I've never paid attention. In Get it. ready. This sucker's going down. Yeah, but like, where do you yeah. put your head? What did you do? Well, great question. Because if you actually read the brochure, it tells you. But no one reads the brochure. Right. Mm-mm. I didn't know how to do it either after flying a thousand times. So I, I just put my head down and held on to the front seat. But I was looking left out the window the entire time. I was like, I want to watch me die, I guess. You know? That's the weird thing. Like, how you don't want to watch. No. You don't want to see it end. But how no. can you? It's the ultimate looking at a car accident. Like, you exactly have to right. see it. It's like, we're going down. And at least I want my eyes open for the last second. Right. So uh, for geography, we'll break for a second here just so that uh, everybody kind of understands because I'm familiar with Manhattan. The Hudson River is the one that separates the east side of Manhattan, or sorry, the, the west side of Manhattan from New Jersey. 
So if I'm getting my geography right here, you are flying over the George Washington Bridge, so you're headed south, downtown Manhattan. That's correct. So Manhattan's on your left. New York City is on your left. New Jersey's on your right. The Statue of Liberty is dead ahead. That is exactly right. Okay, very good. That, now we've got the Jeez. geography. Okay, so. In fact, I don't know who was speaking. Was that Dylan speaking? No, that's, that's, that's Pepper. Yeah. So Pepper, so if you go out, if you go, yes, I actually showed a picture of the plane in the river with the Statue of Liberty right there. That uh, is a tremendous picture for people to give them a ge- geography lesson okay. on where this whole thing happened. Okay, okay. So you're headed down, you're looking out the window, you're, you're kind of bracing for impact, but you're also bracing for curiosity. Right. Yep. And the, there's no panic? It's still a fairly calm, bizarrely Very calm? Quiet. Yeah. Very quiet. I think, I think people at that point, my perception of the people I talked to were pretty resolved that uh, this is probably not going to turn out well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and... The other thing that I, I talk about a lot in the business side, you want to look at the business side of this, is is that the uh, majority of the plane was made up of business passengers. And I contrast that with uh, a pilot, a captain who actually talked to me. We were in Orlando, Florida, and he contrasted, like, what do kind of people fly out of Orlando? It's basically, you know, people going on vacation and going to amusement parks. So a flight going out of Orlando, you probably probably... 80% plus people who do not fly often. Right. Out of New York, you have probably 90% of the people who fly all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. the passenger makeup of the plane, I believe, had a lot to do with the outcome of that day. Okay. And so and I, that's why I talk about when I go out and speak is um, there's a lot of business lessons, and that's one of them, getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. That's plane. interesting. Right, right, right. So you're sitting, you said you'd given up a first class flight on a later flight yep. to go on to this one. So you're sitting right. in, in regular, uh, whatever class it's called. Steerage. Steerage. And there's, there's uh, a row of three, so it's you and two others? That's correct. And they're colleagues or just strangers? Nope. Didn't know anybody on the plane. Didn't know anybody. And you're in the middle, you're in the window? I'm window seat. You're in the window seat. So were you, did you strike up a conversation with the people beside you? Did you become fast friends? Did, like, what what happened in that 90 seconds or whatever? Well, you, right before the 90 seconds, the only thing that the guy in the seat next to me said is, you know, what's going on? I said, I think, I think um, we're going down. That's all I said. I said, I think we were hit. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got, to, that's all I said to him because he said, what's going on? Because it was so quiet. And that's all I said to him. That's all he said to me. Right. That's it. Okay. Okay. So you're getting ready. You're bracing for impact. What happens next? We impact. Okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And, and, and he hit. It's a hard hit. And and yeah, uh, he hit it perfectly as we know now, right? But um, he hit you know the backside hit first, and then he put the front side down. Then it skid for approximately a hundred meters. Um, so the backside where I was got the got a big hit. In fact, the people in the last row got the biggest hit. Okay. People in the front row who are in first class got the least hit because that was the last one part down. That's what they pay for. <laughs> um, what they pay the extra dime for, right? What can you compare that the jarring impact to? Uh, Great question. Yeah. I actually, we actually, in fact, I was on in the green room with Good Morning America, and that that somebody asked that question, and we had somebody from NASCAR who was on the plane, uh-huh. and she said it. She talked to one of the pit crews and. It says like hitting the wall about 100 miles an hour sideways. Jesus. Holy smokes. And so it was, it's a hard hit. It's a jarring hit, but it's a survivable hit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you hit and you get this giant jar. Does it wind you? I went forward, backward, forward, backward really quick. It was like back, front, back, front, back. 
and then, then I looked up. I looked up and looked out the window and I saw light. So no, I was uh, I was like, okay, I'm alive. I'm breathing. I see I see light, and all of a sudden you feel water coming in and see water coming in. How quickly? It was immediate. It, okay. Because if you look at the plane, I used to, well, why the plane was here. Sure, I did a lot of tours. Uh, there was a big hole in the back of where the initial hit was. So water started coming in immediately. So where I was, water was about ankle deep. Back in the back, it was about waist deep. But in the front of the plane, it just wasn't barely any water. So, so ankle deep water, and it's cold ass water because here we are on January, January 15th. Yeah. So in Celsius, it'd be zero degrees. It'd be 30, about 36 degrees here, about zero plus. Uh, uh, Celsius. And then at, at that moment, how quickly until you rush into action of some sort? Well, that moment, people start moving quickly. I, the term I used that night on CBS was um, control chaos. Mm-hmm. People were moving fast, but no one was losing it. No one was climbing over people, hitting people. It was very orderly, but moving fast. And, you know, my game plan was get to the aisle, get up, and get out. That's the last thing I said before we hit aisle up, out. Right. So I could put something in my brain, so I had a game plan. But that's when everything changed for me because I looked up, and all of a sudden, I saw people walking down seats. And all of a sudden, you had people going down the aisle and seats. All of a sudden, I realized there's multiple pathways out of here. Right. And I, I, that's when resourcefulness kicked in. But when I got to the aisle, I heard my mom start talking to me. I, I mentioned she passed away in 1997, but what I heard from her is, in my head, is if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. Okay. And I tell people, well, I start thinking about what she said. She didn't say, do the right thing. She said, if you do the right thing. And she made me make a choice. Right. And my choice was, I was okay. Did anybody else need help? And I, I grew up in a small town in, in Ohio and where everybody took care of everybody. So um, that's why I climbed over the seats towards the back of the plane and got behind everybody else to see if anybody needed help and I got behind everybody else started walking out behind everybody. So you had the amazing? option to get off early. Isn't that amazing? And you went yep. to, back towards where the water was gushing in? Yeah, it was about chest level when I got back there and it was it was coming in it was steady uh, but, uh, you know, I got behind everybody else uh, and just started making my way out and, you know, based on the impact, of course, like I mentioned, the back of the plane hit first so the impact was the greatest and that's when some of the bins had broken open so you've got luggage now floating in the water. You've got, you know, your waist to chest level deep, depending how tall you are. Um, and it's coming in. So it's like I'm, I'm making my way out like everybody else. And, you know, the first light that I saw was on the right side of the plane. The was, was there any thought to getting your BlackBerry or any of your possessions? Or at that point in your life, <laughs> possessions don't matter. I actually paid attention again because I did not go for that stuff. I got immediately going out. But there were some people who... Um, Thought otherwise and did had another game plan, which is fine. Need your stuff. They did what they had to do, yeah. right? And uh, I don't judge people for that. So there's an, no. there's an interesting moment here that I want to explore for a second, and that moment okay. is from the minute you hit and realize you've survived, right, to the minute where you're you got to get off the plane or you're not going to survive. It's almost like you're, you've survived one, but you're not sure you're going to survive the other. So you're in the middle of, of terror at that minute, right? Like just sheer, like you said, controlled panic. But at the same time, you're not out of the woods. Once the plane lands, you open your eyes like, oh my God, I made it. And then the water starts coming in. And you're like, no, I'm not out of the woods yet. Yeah, like you made it through the Mario level, but then right. you got to the boss. Yes. Uh. Well, that's, that's why I say, I tell people there's really two distinct parts of what happened. Getting down where the crew gets all the credit and then getting out is where the passengers and crew get all the credit. Right. Because you're right. 
and you know, I used, like I said, it was controlled chaos. But you know, things were moving pretty rapidly at that point. But it, you know, I think you know, and my thought process was, I survived. I'm alive now. Let's see anybody else now. Let's just get the hell out. Um, you know, and, and my game plan was, I, like I said, the first light that I saw was on the right side of the plane. It was a 10F, which is a, you know one of those window doors that someone had to pop out and get out. Yeah. So I, I was like, oh, I'm out of here, right? Hasta la vista. And but as soon as I looked out on the on the wing, the the wing was already filled with people standing on it. Okay. Then right. I looked to the, then I looked to the right, and the little lifeboat that popped out, it was already filled up. So there was no room to go in the wing or the boat for me. So that's why I was inside the plane, waist deep in 36 degree oh, water for God. about seven minutes. Do you remember the feeling, like how cold it was, or was the adrenaline kicking in, and and you were just, you were fine? Yeah, the paramedics. We had that discussion, and they they gave me that perspective that you just said is the, the adrenaline kicks in, so you don't feel cold. You know, you feel wet. You don't feel cold. Uh, you don't feel cold until you get to a point of safety where all your adrenaline comes down, and all of a sudden, wow, I'm yeah. cold. Yeah. Right. And then so, you're fighting yeah, off hypothermia was, right? at that point. God. I did have hypothermia. That's how I got. Okay. That's why I got put in the hospital for. Okay. So everyone's on the on the plane wings. They're standing there on either side. You're still waist deep inside of the right. plane. And are people then jumping off of the wing? Like what happens there? Like now the ferries start coming immediately, which they get, I give them a ton of credit. They were there within just a couple minutes. So people sort of walking down the wing, you know, to get to, to have the ferries help them get on the ferries. Same thing with the boats. So it was you know people were just starting to walk. That's why they call it the wing walkers. They start walking down the wing. But, you know, about, uh, you know, just about five, five plus minutes into this thing, and uh, this thing's still moving, I felt the plane shift. And I didn't know what happened at that point. I found out later what happened. It was a, one of the tugboats that were part of the rescue hit the front of the plane and shook the plane. And when it shook the plane, water started sloshing back and forth. And that's when I felt water start going up my back. I'm like, this thing's going down. I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's the moment I said, you know, I, t- I always tell people, I thank my mom and dad because... They hadn't given me swimming lessons from the Red Cross when I was a kid. I may never been able to get out because that was the moment I said, I got to go. And I jumped in and started swimming in, in the Hudson River. You know, uh, it was the longest 30-foot swim in my life because I swam the length of that wing, 36-degree <sighs> water, head, head, to, head to toe, and I was already been in the water for seven-plus minutes. Jeez. Uh, but I was, uh, I'm, I, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm a very good swimmer. But I swam with my clothes on all the way to the end, and, I got to the end of the wing. I'm like, okay, I'm like here, but now how the heck am I going to get on? You know, and and all of a sudden, you know, fortunately for me, you know, you know, a couple people reached their arms down and started grabbing because I yelled up, I can't, I can't, I can't. And they, the two guys grabbed me and picked me up. And I'm not a small guy, you know. I um, I back then I was a little beefier than I am now, and <laughs> I don't know how the heck they did it because I was wet. I was soaking wet. Had no strength. I thought, and they threw me over the side of the ferry. That's how I got, got on the ferry. And like I mentioned, when you're now you're on the ferry and they're yelling at you to get up, and you get up, and all of a sudden, that's when you think you got it made. But that was my moment, because that's when the adrenaline drops, right? You think you made it, all right? So shoo, I can take a breath, and as soon as you do that, it's so cold. You can't even think. 
And it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's amazingly how cold your body, my body was. So you always hear when you're on the plane, if you're paying enough attention, that there's a flota- your seat is a flotation device right? and there's a life vest. Gotta be gonna listen to those things. Vest, but you didn't use any of that and just didn't think to, or it was just. I thought, listen, that's a great distinction because I did think about getting that life preserver they tell you about. Yeah. So I reached under the seat. But I tell people, you know, when you're the water's already up to sea level yeah. and you're reaching down, I ain't spending a lot of time looking for a fire preserver. I'm, I, I think I'm going to work my way out. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. yeah. You got to get out of there. I, mean, I can't monkey around trying. How, how eerie was it? For, sorry, how eerie was it for you? Because you were one of the final passengers on the plane. I was the last passenger off the plane. Correct. Okay, so how eerie is that? The plane's completely empty. Like, I mean, you double check to make sure nobody was there. Yep. And then the only ones left on after you would have been captain? Captain, the first officer. That's correct. And the flight attendants were already off. Yeah. They were done. They were gone. Yep. So. Um, And from, you said seven minutes. You're throwing that number around. Seven minutes from impact to the time you got on the ferry or seven minutes from the time the engine caught on fire? Seven minutes from the time of impact. Okay. The time I jumped into the water and got to the ferry. It's longer than I thought. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, I mean, it felt like a lifetime, I imagine. Yeah, it, it goes by pretty quick, but um, when you're in the middle of it, it does seem like a long time. Right. Okay. So from the moment you took off for, or uh, hit the birds, hit the geese, and yep. to the point that you got on the ferry was, what, 15 minutes? Max, uh, I think uh, if you timed it out, if you look at the time, I think it was like 13 and change. God, that's a lot to happen yeah. in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah that's, wow. that's why you know, right now when I'm talking to people about this pandemic, this is like a marathon. I was involved in the sprint. Right. But they right. both have similar attributes, right? Right. So, um, At what point did you know, okay, I'm, I'm part of something that's going to be a massive, massive uh, news story. Like here we are 20 or 11 years later talking about this. They've made a, a movie with Tom Hanks about it. Like at what point did you think, this is a pretty significant story. Like landing in the Hudson River is insane. I, I candidly didn't think like that until I was on CBS with uh, Katie Couric. Right. And I said, okay, this is a pretty big deal then, I guess. Cause, right. <laughs> I mean, I was, there were things happening, and I was, in, I, mean, I was doing a lot of media. I mean, there were media all over the place, right? But until Katie Couric's crew showed up, because the gentleman next to me was the first passenger out. He was in first class. He was on with Diane Sawyer while I was on with Katie Couric. Yeah. Side by side. So just grab right. anybody. That's when I realized this is a pretty big deal. So uh, you, yeah. you went to the hospital for hypothermia. Was that it? That was the extent of your of your injuries? Uh, at that moment. But what we realized when I got back, because uh, like I mentioned, I swam in the river. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to get a tetanus shot. Plus, I got jet fuel in my eye. <laughs> oh, oh, my no. goodness. Uh, and that's why I wear glasses now, because... They, the Palisades had a tremendous, they cleaned my eyes out. Yeah. But when we got back and I went to the, the, the optometrist, they found little black spots. And they think that's jet fuel that got stuck. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, so my eye got all hazy. So, uh, um, yeah. yeah. So, so what happened, uh, though? So you're, it, I, I mean, I'm curious from the, the family element for this. Yep. Because here you are, you're on a plane, It's it's gone down. It became news quite quickly mm-hmm. if you were paying attention. But you have no way to reach your family. Nope. Your Blackberry's on a plane that is in the middle of the Hudson. You're on a ferry on your way to the hospital. And at what point did you reach out to your family what what was going through your family's mind like when did they start to hear that everything was okay when when was that clearance well they didn't know that I was okay but the first time was when I was on the ferry when somebody who was not wet and who had his backpack and had his blackberry 
uh, put his, his, in fact, he had an iPhone, put it up to my mouth and he said, call your wife, and I gave him the number, and I, I yelled to the phone, this is your father, I've been in a plane crash. And that's when my family found out, but knew nothing else until they saw me later that night on TV. And I didn't talk to my wife until about probably about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, because I had no phone. Right. I had no phone. And they would not let me, I was in the hospital, and they would not let me touch the phone until actually I could, I could actually um, say like this, go to the restroom, because my body was frozen. Wow. So the only thing your family knew was that what you said was, I've, this is your dad, I've been in a plane crash. That's it. <laughs> Oh, well, that's kind of mean. I mean, you don't want to do that to <laughs> Holy them. Holy smokes. That's all they knew. And then my daughter turned the TV on, she said, and saw everything breaking loose and then called my wife, who was taking our son to basketball practice. Well, you know, and in 2020, the funny thing is, I don't know if it's the same with, with everybody, but I don't know anybody's phone number. So if I lose my phone, mm, oh, I yeah. wouldn't even know who to call because I, I, I just go on my contacts. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, and that's why my daughter didn't pick up the phone because she saw the number was from Connecticut. Right. It was an unknown number. <laughs> <and> she <laughs> wanted to answer it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Uh, so you get to shore. When do you know you're safe? Um, well, technically, I would say when I got to the ferry, but I would say, cause, but I didn't because I thought I was, you know, yep. I, I was so cold. But yep. I would say, because I was on the floor of the triage center in my underwear and when someone takes my foot, all I could think about was mash, and, you know, I'm dead. They're taking my foot. They're carrying me out. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think I was safe then. I didn't really didn't think I was safe until I got into the hospital, and um, they started going after me. And I still, at that point, I was my heart rate was so high, they, I was heading down south. They, didn't, they were doing things left and right, and uh, it was probably a couple hours later when everything started settling down that I realized I'm, I'll probably be okay. How, uh, how many people were in a similar, a similar like medical condition as you were with hypothermia? They, um, I think the final count in the hospital is if I got the number right, I may be off a couple, but I think it was 21 people. Okay. They went to the hospitals. There's three that went to New Jersey hospitals and 18 went to uh, New York hospitals. Okay. And there are some people who just literally walked off the plane with just wet feet? Yep. Yep. With oh. wet feet. And some of them just went home. Wow. They had their cars in LaGuardia. They just went home. Wow. Unbelievable. That's, um, why, that's why you saw in the movie, if you watched the movie, when uh, Hanks was saying, we need a number, we need a number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get a number because some people were just going home. Some it people were in the hospital. Right. Some people were, right, they didn't know where everybody was. Uh, you've watched the movie several times, I'd imagine. How accurate is the movie? I tell people it's fa- fairly accurate. They took a couple, of course, they had a couple things that they took liberty with, which, but there's nothing major. I think, I think Clint Eastwood did an amazing job with that story. It got down to the facts. The big facts are all there. Right. Did you get to meet uh, any of the actors? Did they uh, did they talk to you about uh, the experience uh, to prepare for it or anything? Yeah, I talked to a producer, and then I got the opportunity to meet Clint Eastwood, which was a cool, oh, very yeah. cool thing to do. Yeah. He's 80 years old and still doing movies, right? Right, yeah. It's amazing. A, it's so well done, the entire thing. And so when when you look back on this entire experience, like, is there a PTSD element yeah. that exists from this? Yeah, that's one of the things that people kept telling me that I would have. And as we know, after watching the movie, there were several people that had that uh, who were even in that movie. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because I never felt that I had it. But a few years later, I got a phone call to do an interview with AARP magazine here in the states, I think it's the it's the Association for Retired People. I'm like, mm-hmm. why do you want to talk to me? You know, I'm I'm young, right? I'm not old. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were two universities in the United States doing a study on me, and it was called about you know, called PTGS. 
how to grow from a traumatic life event instead of going to PTSD. Mm-hmm. And they did this article on me about how the, the steps, the strategies I did to grow instead of going into depression, which turned into my TED Talk that I did in, at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, uh, probably, probably 18 months later. Uh, because I wanted people to understand there is another strategy. You don't have to go to depression. There are ways to grow, and uh, I shared that in my TED Talk. When you went to your TED Talk, I'm curious, you, fl- yep. you flew there, right? I did fly there. I flew, I flew to Ottawa. What was it like the very first time getting back on a plane after going? I don't know. I honestly don't know if I could do it, and, and that's why I think you're just such an inspiring person. Common, yeah. And, and uh, to, to watch, like I, I, I've watched the TED Talk. I, I've read Thank up you. about you, and, and I mean, you just got so much good to offer. But like, what was it like that didn't bother you at all? Well, here's the candid back of the back story. The next day, I died, I flew home, and I, but I was being told what to do. I had handlers, right? People taking care of me, so I wasn't really in, into it until my next week when my company asked me to fly to Michigan for a business trip, <laughs> and I agreed. Which I probably, looking back, I should not have agreed, but I did. And I, I flew on Delta because that was the only only airline that flew into where I was going, and they put me in the back of the plane. And oh I was extremely nervous. Yeah. It was cold. It was snowing. I was flying to Michigan, and I was a rock star on U.S. Airways. I was nobody on Delta. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, so, but somebody recognized me from the interviews that I had done the week before, and the captain actually came back in mid-flight, and we he sat down, we had a little talk, and gave me a lot of certainty, which I really appreciate him doing that. But yeah, that next flight, that the first flight on business was. Um, challenging to say yeah, the, the uh, least did you get to meet uh sully and and thank him and do you like I, I don't know how much truth there is to the movie because uh, I, I keep getting i've watched documentaries i've read and then i'm watching the movie and i don't know uh, were people uh, that were on the flight at all mad about the situation or like that he didn't try to go back or anything like that or was that never even a thought in your mind that was never a thought in my mind and this i've i've had the opportunity and uh, to meet and actually share the stage with the captain uh, a few years ago, but uh, I, there were some passengers who um, looked at this as not a positive experience, and you know, and had a different opinion. I was not one of them. I thought this actually, uh, I think the crew did an amazing job, and I think the airline did a the the way they they basically wrote the book on how you handle a customer during a crisis. Right, and man. so I I, I I tell people I think. There's no reason to go back at the airline or the, the crew. They did a fabulous job. So the story of the movie is, for anybody who hasn't seen it, is that uh, after all of this happens, then uh, Tom uh, Sully, uh, played by Tom Hanks, is put on, there's a, not, a, not a trial, but uh, there's an investigation into should he have gone back to the airport? Was landing in the river the right thing to do? Was he putting people in harm's way by mm-hmm. landing in the river instead of going back to the airport? When did you hear that this investigation was happening? Um, I knew it immediately because I got a phone call from the NTSB, like I think every other passenger did. Okay. And I actually flew to Los Angeles to do an interview with the NTSB for my, my God, you got on a lot of flights out Yeah, <laughs> I did. I, I, I did not have to worry about frequent flyer miles that year. Let's say right. it that way. Right. And um, but I, I was actually, yeah, I flew to L.A. and did my interview at LAX. And you interviewed and testified in defense of Captain Sully. I told my story. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, I told okay. my story. I didn't take any sides. They asked okay. me my story. Mm-hmm. I told them my story, and that was it. All right. Um, are you just personally, do you find it ridiculous? Are you outraged that they were trying to, to pin this as an accident as opposed to a life-saving act? Well, you no, and the reason why I say that 
is I look, I'm looking at it from a business perspective and knowing in business, someone's got to pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to pay for that plane, right? And yeah. depending on who, uh, what the facts are, I'm glad the facts came out the way they did because I think they were very, he, he did the right thing. As we know now, he did make the right thing and the human element means everything. You can't put a robot up there and do something like he did. Right. No, I think, uh, I, you know, um, it, it was a business decision. Someone had to pay for that plane. And was the insurance company going to pay for it? Was U.S. Airways? Who was going to pay for it? It feels like it's just right. geese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn geese, right? Well, they're dead now, right? Right. The, the, they paid the, the, the geese now, paid so. the ultimate they price. Yeah. Was, uh, speaking of, uh, of pain, was there a payout? And I don't even know if you can speak of that, but was like, did you get money, some sort of settlement, uh, as part of an insurance claim, as part of a, hey, sorry about your loss. U.S. Air, like I said, U.S. Airways did a fantastic job because gotcha. every, gotcha. every passenger got a check for $5,000 within 48 hours. Okay. Okay, oh. so they were immediately uh, looking out yep. for you. Right. Well, 5000 I don't know if that's enough. What about the movie? Did you get any, uh, any uh, kickback from the movie, the success of the movie? I got to go to the movie for free. There you there go. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, look at that. And uh, what's the tie-in with uh, uh, Tony Robbins? You used to work for him before or after uh, the event? Before, during, and after. I was the head of security for Tony for 10 years, and so I had a chance to travel with Tony around the world and help support his his mission, which I was very honored and blessed to do. And he was the only person that called me in the, in the hospital that night. So... Uh, I um I am so happy that uh, he's been my mentor and he uh he took special interest in me that day. Are you still friends to this day? We are. We are still friends. I so I no longer have security because I'm going off my direction and he he strongly encouraged me to do this. He was he was telling me I needed to do this and finally we uh, I made a decision to do it and he found somebody else and I'm glad he did because it's allowed me to be able to impact people around the world. What a mentor to have, right? So if yeah. people want to uh, look more into what you're doing currently, uh, the best, like, I mean, you have your book and, and you do, and you do a, ta- uh, a ton of talks throughout uh, America and for corporations and stuff like that, but, like, what's the best way to get a hold of you and, and really read up on you? Well, thank you. I mean, if you go to my website, DaveSandersonSpeaks.com, that's probably a good place to start, but I'm really encouraging people now two things. Number one, Go to LinkedIn because I put new content out every day about personal leadership is where I'm really focused on how to lead yourself first, especially right now during a crisis. Right. So go to LinkedIn under David Sanderson, but also I've got my show on the Amazon network on the Alexa platform called The Voice of Personal Leadership. And if you've got a, uh, an Alexa product, uh, check mm-hmm. it, enable it, check it out. And every day I put new content out, cool. 90 seconds. Here's, some, here's a leadership thought for the day, and hopefully it'll start your day off well. So that's another way to get in contact with me and listen to what I do for, for nothing. So obviously the, that experience has put you, to, has, has, has had a significant impact on, on the direction you want to take your life and, the, and the, the spiritual and the professional direction you want to go. The question I have, and with all your successes, congratulations on that. It's wonderful. The question I have is, as a regular guy, we do some traveling from time to time. Yep. We go to Toronto a lot to head office mm-hmm. for, for, the, for those sort of things. And whenever I go on vacation, as a regular guy, when I get on a plane, I don't pay attention to anything. I think I know what's mm-hmm. good, how to be comfortable. I put a seatbelt on because I'm supposed to, but I have it as loose as possible. I roll my eyes when I'm supposed to put my phone on airport, uh, on airplane mode. Um, what can you tell everybody who travels? Maybe not as regularly as you do, but everybody who travels after being through what you've been through, don't take what lightly. Please pay attention to the things you should do. Yeah, pay up. First thing is you pay attention to the flight attendants. You listen because what I realized is every plane is different. 
every situation is different. So you better at least dial in and understand what what's going on on that plane. So if something does happen, because you know you never think anything's going to happen, and all of a sudden something happens, and you're now you, you know, all that time you had the opportunity to at least read the brochure, or listen, you didn't, and you're the one that's going to be needs needs help. So number one, pay attention, and second, keep your ID on you. I, I had to grab and get my ID and put it down my pants. Uh, and I would say just make sure you have ID on you because if something does happen, you want at least someone to know who you are. Right. Okay. Right. Don't have it in the overhead compartment in your backpack. Nope. Or I did that. Yeah. I did. I had it in my backpack. And I, that's why I grabbed it and shoved it into my pants because if I died, at least I wanted my family to know. Right. Wow. Uh, number one takeaway before we leave here from the experience, if you can give us just the number one thing that you, uh, you have now in your wheelhouse because of it? I'm less judgmental. I, I, I think it, uh, when, one of the things that I realized is, um, you know, I was probably pretty judgmental when I was younger, and I made assessments pretty quickly, but you realize that when you're going down in a plane crash or going through a crisis, everybody's the same. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of ExxonMobil or you're the guy putting the light bulbs up at midnight. Everybody's the same, and don't judge anybody until you know their backstories. Because you don't know why people act the way they do, and there might be a big reason. And you, if you start judging people too early, then you may be missing out on relationships, business opportunities, and more importantly, someone may need your help. And uh, be, you know, that's when your servant leadership needs to kick in. Did you make any new friends through this experience on that plane? Thousands. Yeah. Thousands of new friends. And the blessing I've had is I've re-engaged with old friends um, that I hadn't seen in 30 years. And right. that's... Uh, probably the biggest blessing out of this okay amazing dave sanderson thank you for Wonderful. taking the last 45 minutes to talk to us about this experience well thank you for having me and hope uh, hope all is well in edmonton yes you thank bet. you sir okay uh be safe thank you dave thank you okay i mean wow that is uh that's everything we wanted that's a great story and he told it very well he told it very very well unbelievable wow. yeah and it uh, i mean every little detail is there i hope we asked everything and covered everything i don't know robbie you were pretty quiet and all of that but uh, yeah i didn't have to say anything that was fantastic the whole time i was just googling pictures of isn't it unreal of the crash just following along as he was telling the story yeah. <sighs> incredible I, the, the the plane of your life like he says, the movie of your life playing, that's just so spooky to me to have to sit there and you're watching. Because like that to me would indicate, oh, yeah, no, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't kick this movie in if, like, right. if I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would mean. Oh, yeah, it's not a mistake God. when this movie starts to play. Yeah, this has never happened before. I wonder wow. why all of wow. a sudden. All right. Well, our thanks to Dave. Uh, again, Dave Sanderson. And thank you for listening to The After Show. The Pepper and Dylan Show. Weekday mornings on KISS 91.7.